And so we're in the middle of a message series right now called His Presence. His Presence. And if I was to just summarize, if you're joining us for the first time, you haven't been with us for the first couple of weeks, by the way, you can always catch those earlier messages on our podcast or our live stream, our website. Um, If I was to summarize, I would say that we began this series talking about this interesting concept that the Bible tells us that we are to seek the face of God. Seek my face. You say to me, Lord, and my heart says to you, your face I will seek. Yet there's this seemingly contrasting statement in Scripture that says, you can't see my face. Right? What is that all about? Seek my face, you can't see my face. And when we explore the depths of revelation in Scripture, we understand that face, or another times it's translated as presence, the presence of God, the face of God is multifaceted, has many edges, many sides. If I were to say, you see my cheek, or you see my ear, or you see my eyebrow, it would also mean you see a part of my face. But you might not see my whole face. And that's what God's saying. You want to see my face. You want to, I want you to see every part of me that you can see. Know every part of me that you can know. Yet there's no way you can possibly see and know everything. And so our heart is captivated in this journey where we're seeking God. Over this weekend already, I've, as we've worshipped, I've thought to myself as this, in the songs that we've sang, these, we've seen or worshipped around these multiple sides or edges of God's character and who he is. Last night we sang a song, Good, Good Father. Thought, well, there's the Father God, our loving Father. Sing another song that spoke about the provision and providing nature of our God. We sing another song, I thought, well, there's the protector who watches over me. We sing about his holiness, and then we sing about how he comforts us. God is holy and majestic. He's awe-striking, and yet at the same time, he is also friend. It's amazing to know God in all these different ways, right? I mean, my kids, I think about the relationship they have with me, how they know their dad. When they're in trouble, when they're scared something's happening, they know God, dad as their protector, right? Something they fall, they hurt themselves. Here comes dad or mom to protect them and watch over them and help them, comfort them. Other times, they know dad as the corrector. Uh, teenage years seems to be a little more lately. Of that. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> and then they know, you know, we'll have movie night or we'll snuggle. And there's these different sides, right? Because they're close, we spend so much time together. They know me in all these different ways. And what I'm trying to say is that our God is multifaceted. He is so infinite in the sides and edges and shapes to who he is. We can never understand it all, yet he wants us to know as much as we possibly can. And this journey that we're on is to go deeper into the presence of God. I could say to know him more than we've ever known him before. And that's really where the heart of this is. Yes, we are teaching and going through scriptures to help us understand all these different sides to God and how we explore that. So there's the the dividing of the word around it, but really I think at the end of this, the, the passion where I'm so prayerful, because I know I can't do this, where I'm so prayerful 
is that there would be a response that would be evoked in the hearts of the people to say, God, I want to hear from you. God, I want to know you more. Amen? And last week we talked about the mountain of God and how it's a meeting place with Him. How this is a, a picture of how we, as we would climb the mountain of God, so to speak, we would go deeper and deeper into this vast discovery of God's presence, His character, and who He is. We talked a lot about what the mountain of God is last week. And today, we're going to go back to the mountain of God, and we're going to ask another very important question. A very important question. And that is, who may climb the mountain of God? Who may climb? In fact, it's such an important question that David was the one who asked it, King David. Let's open in Psalms. I'm going to read two Psalms back to back, uh, 15 and then 24. They essentially ask the same thing, but one of them answers the question. Um, God answers the question, I should say. So Psalms 15, verse 1, David says, Lord, who may abide in your holy or in your tabernacle, who may dwell in your holy hill? He also could say that who may dwell continually on your holy mountain. Continue again and again and again to go up the mountain of God. Who may dwell? Who may climb, Lord? I mean, if David saw this question fit to ask, that's a pretty big deal, right? Yet God releases an answer even in the question in the psalm. 24, verse 3. It says, Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord? I could say that in other translations. Who may ascend into the mountain of the Lord? Who may ascend into the presence of the Lord? Or who may stand in his holy place? Now listen to this next verse. He who has clean hands and a pure heart. Everybody say clean hands and pure heart. He who has not lifted up his soul to an idol nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is Jacob, the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face. Wow. Pray. Lord, we just ask you to speak to us today. Oh, Heavenly Father, we love you. Jesus, we love you. We want to see more of you, God. We want to know more of you. Would you uncover our eyes today? Would you open our ears to hear? Lord, help us to peer into this deep ocean of your presence and of your nature, your character. Help us to see more of your face today, God. For I know that as we gaze upon that in greater ways, It'll only empower and strengthen our lives and our walk here in this world that we may be a greater witness and testimony for you, God. And we want to be strong. We want to be faithful. We want to be courageous. We want to be influential and impactful in this hurting world for you, God. As you show us more of who you are, we journey into the depths of that, God. We know that we will be strengthened. We will be made more effective for the work that you have for us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. 
So I love the way that this psalm goes because he says, this is Jacob, the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face. Uh, He basically says here, when you ask the question, who may climb the mountain of God? He says, well, this is what they look like. This is the description. You ask the question, here's the answer. Those who have a pure heart and clean hands, which what this talks about, we're going we're gonna to dig into this today. What this talks about is the idea of sanctification or cleansing. In order to be in the presence of God, there is a cleansing that has to happen or has to take place. Does that make sense? There's a requirement there, so to speak. So on one hand, you say, who may climb the mountain of God? Well, praise God, everyone can. That's the beautiful news, right? Who can be saved? Well, all can be saved. Who will? Those who give their life to Jesus. Who will climb the mountain of God? Go deeper into the presence of God. Those who have a pure heart and clean hands. You see, on the mountain of God, back to when Moses led the people there for the very first time, and that was the first, that was the introduction of this, which establishes things, right? It, it was everything on the mountain had to be sanctified. Everything on the mountain had to be cleansed. There was a ritual cleansing process, so to speak. Let me tell you what that looked like. God said to Moses, when you come with the people, before the presence comes down on the mountain, I need you to do some things. First of all, you all need to cleanse yourselves. You all need to take a bath because you stink. No, I'm just kidding. That's not what he said. But he said you got to wash yourselves. Wash yourselves. He said you got to wash your clothes. Everything you're wearing needs to be cleansed. He said, husbands, for the next couple of days, you're not to have relations with your wives. And now i got to tell you, This particular one right here, we're being really, really open today. There's no way that Katie could handle that. (laughs) Oh, boy. I feel like I may have crossed the line. Okay, I don't know. All right. He says, he says, oh. he says that no animals can get close to the mountain. He said, and actually, if anybody tries to avoid these parameters and still get here and still come, then you're to... Stone them or use arrows to kill them, animal or men, or anybody that comes near the mountain that hasn't been cleansed through this process. That's strong stuff, right? Let me ask you a question. Aren't you glad that Jesus perfected these things? Aren't you glad that our security team isn't standing at the doors every single week? The presence is here well, we've just got to ask you some questions before you come in today. Did you take a bath? Did you wash your clothes? I see a stain. I don't know. I don't think you're going to be coming in. 
right? And they've got slingshots and crossbows ready to go. Jesus says, I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill the law. So here's what you have to understand in that. All these Old Testament things and these principles that God set in order, Jesus says, they weren't null and void. I didn't just abolish them. I I perfected them. I fulfilled them. I made a better way. So while these ritual cleansing processes that we see are not the way we have to go about it now, praise God, to enter into the present, there's still very much a spiritual application to them that we have to understand, which is there is a cleansing process, there is a pure heart and a clean hands thing that we have to understand if we want to travel deeper into the presence of God. Amen? So let's look at these. Number one is a pure heart. A pure heart. Now certainly one of the things that we could say is that would speak to the motives or the intentions of the heart. How many know there can sometimes be a disconnect in what we say or do outwardly and what our intentions and motives on the inside actually are? That's why the Bible says that the word of God is so sharp and penetrable that it can actually divide thoughts and intentions of the heart. It means you're not fooling anybody when you open that thing and it reads you, right? It says it can discern that stuff. And so our motives have to be right. We don't come to God with selfish motives. And, and all I can say is that's deep in the heart. You just you, you know when it is or it isn't, right? You're here to get something selfishly for yourself if we've ever been there. Or we approach God like he's just a vending machine where we just punch in our prayers and what we want. We think he's going to kick things out. Our motives aren't right. That, that's going to be a hindrance to us going deeper into the presence of God. But this idea of a pure heart also speaks to the fact that Jesus says that he is going to give us a new heart or a clean heart whenever we give our lives to him. It speaks to the salvation and the born-again nature of a believer who becomes a new creation, gets a new heart, not a stony dead heart like we had before in a life of sin, but a new, pure heart, a tender heart that's right with sensitivity and conviction and honor and reverence before the Lord. And so there's this amazing thing when the people came to the mountain and God said, do all these things and then the cloud will come down, the presence will come down, and then you may climb mountain, the mountain, Moses, you may ascend. But there's this process that he had them go through. And I want to read that to you. It's in Exodus 24. And uh, they had brought animals, they sacrificed the animals, and they got the blood of the animals. And then this is what they did. This is, we're just going to read verses 6 through 8. Moses took half of the blood, and he put it in basins, half the blood, and he sprinkled it on the altar. And then he took the book of the covenant and read it, in the hearing of the people, and then they said, all that the Lord has said, we will do and be obedient. And then Moses took the blood, sprinkled it on the people, and said, this is the blood of the covenant which the Lord has made with you according to all these words. Now again, I'm I'm doing my best to help you see as many of these things 
in this journey of presence as we can around how there were Old Testament principles that Christ fulfilled and made a better way for, but they're still applicable on a different level spiritually, okay? So think with me about this. The first thing that happens is the blood of an animal is, is spilled. Then the blood of the animal is put on the altar. Then Moses reads God's words, his covenant. Then the people hear the reading of the word and they receive it. They agree with what he said. Then Moses sprinkles them with the blood. And then they are sealed under the covenant that God has made with them. Now they may draw near. Now, you probably already saw where I'm going with this. But let's take that to perfection now in what Jesus said. The blood of the Lamb of God has been spilled. The blood has been put on the altar. Only not the altar made with human hands. The author of Hebrews says the blood of Christ who took himself actually into the mercy seat of heaven and poured his blood on that one. And then... We know the Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So in the word of God, the good news of the gospel in Jesus Christ is read to us and we hear it. We believe and then we agree or receive that. And then we are covered by the blood of the lamb. Our sin nature and old stony heart is removed. A new pure heart is given to us, and we are, as the Bible says in Ephesians, sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise into this new and everlasting covenant. That's better than your reaction, I got to tell you. That's amazing stuff right there. So what I'm saying is, is that when we give our hearts, our lives to Jesus, yes, Lord, I'm a sinner, I, I, I give up my old life, I turn to you. And we are made alive, born again. We are given a new, pure heart. We are given now an opportunity to come into God's presence in a way that we've never known before that decision was made in our lives. And it even says in Hebrews, he says, you as people of God, we are the church of the firstborn. Listen to how he puts this. This is amazing. He says, you have not come Mount Sinai. You have not come to the mountain that Moses led the people to. However, you've come to another mountain. You've come to Mount Zion, the heavenly realm, and you are now children of God, he said, and you've been made that way by the sprinkling of a better blood, the blood of the Lamb. Wow, isn't that unbelievable? So we have a pure heart. Because Jesus gives us a pure heart when he gives us life and comes to live on the inside of us. We begin to know and see the presence of God immediately in a different way like we've never known before. Hallelujah. And I got to tell you, there are people, and, and you may know this, you may have experienced this. There are people who for years and years and years will approach God in, in a relationship or the presence of God with a dead religion kind of uh, mindset. 
as if it's all about works and doing things right and checking off the boxes and punching the list and, you know, all these things I got to do and follow, and many of which are all man-made in themselves anyway. And, and somehow if I do all of this, then I'll know God, I'll be right in his eyes. And my heart breaks and grieves because people can do this for years and years and years. And ultimately, this is what happens. It leaves them completely disappointed. I hear about this God, this power, this great life. I, I don't know it. I've done all the things that I can do all my life, and I've never known it. Of course you haven't. Because it's powerless. That's hopeless. That leaves you disappointed. You'll never know God trying to do things on your own. He says, I'm going to give you a new heart. You come to him humbling yourself, and he gives you that life. And then we begin to encounter his presence in a new way. Not because we've done something right, but because he's made us worthy and covered us and sealed us with his blood. But my heart breaks for people who like, it's a powerless, dead religion. Because they've never actually experienced the true power and the presence that comes from that relationship and that intimacy that God invites us into. That they're trying to earn through a a doing of works and rules and laws of man. Amen? Amen. Thank you for that one hand clap over there. With the better blood, it's a greater atonement. We've been cleansed and made ready for his presence. And he gives us a pure heart. Number two... Is clean hands. Clean hands. So this speaks to um, how we handle or deal with sin and the temptations of the flesh after we've been given a pure heart. Right? We're born again. We're made new. We've been given a pure heart. But there's this reality that we still have a flesh that's bent to sin, and we still walk in a broken world that's full of sin, and the prince of the power of the air is still at work right now temporarily. He knows that. And and so we have to understand that even though we have been made pure in our heart, and we're striving to honor God in our lives, that sin, sin is still something that we have to have a solution for. Now, part of what the Bible tells us that Jesus gives us when he gives us a new heart and his spirit comes to live on the inside of us, which is amazing and phenomenal, he says, you now have the power to reign over sin. Isn't that amazing? He says, when you've been born again, here's what happens. He says this in Romans chap- Romans uh, 6. He says, you've been, you're, you're now dead to sin and you were a slave to it before, but now you're dead to it. But you're dead to sin and you're alive to Christ. Which means you have a power now. He says, so that which you were once a slave to, don't let that reign over you anymore. You have a power to reign over sin. Did you know that? That's amazing. And it'll dog your day, dog your doorstep every day of your life, but you have the power to reign over it and, and rule that thing. Suppress those temptations and the things that come. Nevertheless, we are not perfect. And we're we still err in mis the mark, right? And we have to have a solution for that. That's why in the same context of that discussion, you reign over sin, you reign over it in your life. Paul goes and says right after that, yeah, but I just, 
as much as I don't want to do these things, that my flesh still wants to do them. The things that I know I should do, I don't want to do, and the things I know I shouldn't do, I do want to do, and it's just anybody else can relate to that, right? So we're made pure in our heart, but there's this reality of sin, and so we have to have the solution for that. We rule and reign over that through the power that's in us, and the closer we are with God, the greater our relationship and His presence is, the more strength we have to reign over that. Because there's a heightened sensitivity as soon as it's coming around. No, no, you know, the Holy Spirit of conviction leading you. But nevertheless, when we err and miss the mark, and we all do and will, John says that it's in those moments where we must realize that we are to confess our sin and that God will forgive us, wash us clean of that, and then restore us. To our place of righteousness or cleanse us from any of that unrighteousness. Does that make sense? And so here's what happens. We go along. Things happen. We miss the mark. But then we don't repent. We don't take that before God. And the longer we carry it, the more desensitized we get to it. The more calloused we become. Then more things begin to happen. That's what it says. Satan wants to get a foothold so he can build a stronghold, right? And so we, we carry around unrepented sin. And listen, what happens is it becomes a hindrance to us going deeper into the presence of God. It, it becomes like a, a, a barrier in starting to distance our intimacy and our fellowship with God because we're carrying around the sin. God's pure and perfect. He, he's, it, that's why it says that we are to make sure we don't grieve the Holy Spirit who is in us. Think about this. He said, don't grieve the Holy Spirit whom you've been sealed by for the day of redemption. So these are born-again believers. Spirit of God living on the inside of them, pure heart. He says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. When you sin and do ungodly things, the Spirit is grieved, saddened, remorseful in you. He says, don't do that. And so when those things happen, we repent and then praise God. He forgives us and washes us clean of that. That's what he's saying when he says you want to come up the mountain, you've got to have a pure heart and you've got to have clean hands. So when we come in to worship God or go into our prayer closet or whatever, I'm, I'm just telling you, if you've got all this baggage and stuff going on, you need to get that stuff right with God right away before you're going to take any more steps up that mountain with him. And he gives us a way to do that. Aren't you thankful for that? I know it's spring and the weather is getting nicer. Well, at least maybe the exception of today. But the weather is getting nicer lately. It's getting warmer. One of the nice things about that is our electric bill is going down. Well, man, when it was like zero degrees for those that week, wasn't it crazy? The electric bill is going down. However, Adrian... It's kind of been offset for us by our water bill going up. See, what do you mean? Well, the kids are outside playing, enjoying the sun, which is great. But they're coming in dirty and muddy all the time. Two, three showers a day now, right? It's amazing how dirty. They just took a shower. You just took a shower. Now you've covered again. Come on, get in the shower and get clean before you go anywhere in the house. You know how when they come in, they don't take off the shoes and don't take off the muddy clothes, and they run up and down through the house. They get it all over everything. 
Uh, but they gotta get, they gotta take a shower. They gotta clean themselves up again. Go back outside and get dirty again, right? And and think about that, and think about how we're living our lives. We love God, pure heart. Want to do what God wants us to do. Want to honor Him. But we're we're people, and we miss one. And we need to have a we need to have a quick solution. We need to repent often. And we need to repent quickly. Keep our hands up. That we may ascend and climb further and further to the mountain. Listen to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. It says, pursue peace with all people and holiness. Right? Clean hands, holiness. Without which no one will see the Lord. Say that another way. Keep your hands clean, or you won't see all the sides and edges, depths to this presence of God in this relationship that he's inviting us. Keep our hands clean. When we were in Israel, something really remarkable that struck me. And when you go to any of the synagogues that were in any of the cities that you would visit, outside the synagogue, they always have called a laver or a water basin on the outside before you ever even go in. And that's for people to wash their hands. They still do that to this day. Okay, ceremonially. It's a ritual. It's a cleansing. Touch something unclean, wash your hands and be clean before you come into the synagogue, into the presence of God to worship. Now I want to show you something. I actually had him make me or pull a little card up here because this is the tabernacle of Moses, all right, and I want you to see this. You see in the courtyard area, that's outside of the tabernacle, there is the altar where the blood of the sacrifices would go, and then there's the laver, which is the water basin where the hands would be washed. Then notice that as you go into the tabernacle, there are deeper recesses that you can go into. You've got the inner courts and the outer courts, and all the way in the very back, you have the deepest place, which is the holy of holies that was protected by the veil. And so this represents that the priest would come and the blood would be poured out. Their hands would need to be cleansed and washed, and then they could enter in. And then every so often... They could actually go deeper once a year, even behind the veil, the high priesthood, into the Holy of Holies. And so God's inviting us to go deep <laughs> into this relationship of his presence, to know him as much as we can know. And you see the varying degrees there that they're traveling into. There's a spiritual application still to this day. We're not having to, I hope you washed your hands, but we're, you know, we're not having to wash our hands before we approach God in a physical manner, but we are coming, making sure, yes, I've been, I've been made clean by the blood, I've got a pure heart, and my hands are clean, I've repented of sin, and I'm going deeper and deeper and deeper into the presence of God to see as much as I can see. We're invited to travel as far as we can go with Him, but we have to know that as we do, there are things God says that we need to make sure we get right along the way. 
And I've seen people who will come into church, come into worship services and whatever it might be, and they're, they're people who uh, are just in a bad way. All kinds of sin they're caught up into, all kinds of brokenness, you know, just in a mess in their lives. They'll come in and then in the presence of God, they will be entirely convicted. And they will become completely penitent before the Lord, broken before Him. And they will plead with God for forgiveness. And He will forgive them and wash them. And, and they are absolutely overwhelmed by His presence in that moment, knowing Him and seeing Him in a deep way. Yet at the same time, people can come in when the presence of God is there, be calloused and hardened in their hearts, have sin that they're unwilling to repent of. I'm going to live my life my way. I'm going ha- to live in this immoral relationship. I- I'm going to do what I want to do. This, what's right for me is what's right for me. Nobody can tell me otherwise, yet somehow still make attempts like we're going to continue to try to pursue God, but become hard, more and more hardened. And they could come into an environment where the presence of God is there and get absolutely nothing out of it. That goes to show you that God is merciful, long-suffering, and forgiving. And no matter where we're at, in any moment in our lives, God is ready, willing, and able to forgive and make us clean and overwhelm us with His goodness and with His presence. But if we are not willing to repent, God says, I dwell on my mountain with those who have a humble and contrite heart. Humble and tender before me, ready to repent. Those are the ones who will see me and know the depth of me that I want to show them. Jesus told a parable that described this very thing. He said, two men went into the temple. One was a sinner and one was a Pharisee or tax collector. He says, the one who was the sinner got on his face and his knees and said, God, I'm a sinner. I'm not worthy. Forgive me, Lord. The other man looked over and said, Lord, I thank you. I'm not like that man. God, Jesus said, I tell you, that sinner went back more justified than that other man ever will be. That's the heart of our God right there. Amen. He makes a way where we can make no way for ourselves. A clean hand and a pure, true heart and clean hands. Let me say one more thing about clean hands, and then I'll move on to my last point, because this is very important. Somebody here needs to hear this today. Okay? When we confess sin, when we repent of things that we've done, you need to know when you take that before God, He has forgiven you. Because there's many times where people will just continue to try and repent of the same sin over and over and over again because they've bought some lie that they haven't been forgiven and they're under shame and guilt and condemnation of that thing. If God dealt with you and he forgave you of that thing, that thing is done. I'm not saying you don't have to reconcile with men or people in your relationships. You still maybe need to do that. But God cleansed that thing with the blood The Bible says when we do that stuff all over again, it's like we're crucifying Christ all over again. 
You don't have to do that. If you've been forgiven and you've been washed of that, you need to know that God has removed that thing as far as the east is from the west. He sees it no more. So don't let the enemy bury you with shame and guilt trying to carry that thing around any longer because that too, just like unclean hands, that too being buried in shame and guilt will hinder you from going deeper into the presence of God, feeling unworthy and not able because you're so dirty with this sin that God already forgave you of a long time ago. And the last point, this pure heart and clean hands, is there can be no others. There can be no others. God is not like a circus act where he's trying to compete for our attention. He's not looking around at all the other attractions that are happening in our day and trying to outperform them to, to win us. But make no mistake, he is the main event. He is the one to which we come to. And he says there can be no other. Even on the mountain, Moses was told, don't, don't bring the flocks to graze at the base of the mountain. Let them graze out in the pastures, but don't bring them with you when you come to meet with me and let them graze around the base of the mountain. He told the people, remove all the articles, jewelry and everything you're wearing, remove it all. And the reason why he did that is because he didn't want anything else to be competing for their heart and for their attention in the moments where he was ready to meet. The flocks at the base of the mountain, you know, they're taking care of their flocks. Of course, if they're right there when they come to meet with God, it's probably easy to get distracted. One's running off. Oh, hold on a second. Things I've got to do. Things I've got to be busy with. Come on, I'm going somewhere here. Don't we do this? Don't we come into a holy moment, worshiping God, the presence is here, worshiping, and then all of a sudden, oh, i got to do that later today. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> or am I the only one? <laughs> I struggle with this. Oh, yeah, we got to do this later. Oh, we got to do this. Oh, we got to fix that. It's like, man, we do this. Here for you, God. Right? He says, he's not here to try to compete with all these other things. He wants us to do away with all these other things. I, I, a lot of times, I, I feel like uh, Peter. When Peter went up on the mountain with James and John, Jesus led him up there, the Mount of Transfiguration, the Holy Mountain, and God appeared. Jesus' face shone, and his light, clothes were bright as light. You know what Peter says in this moment? He says, Lord, should we build tabernacles? For you and Elijah and Moses, Lord, should we build tabernacles? And Peter wants to break out the woodworking kit. <laughs> you know, he's ready to do something. He's ready to work. And, and, and there's this holy moment happening. And I feel like I, I, I want to build tabernacles. I'm sitting here sometimes and I'm ready to just start linking logs all the way out here, just building tabernacles, stuff to do. Where am I at? What's going on? That'll be there. This is a moment with you. God, you know, the, the voice of the Father thundered out of the cloud. You know what it said to Peter? This is my son whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. It's like God was saying to Peter, Peter, stop worrying about the tabernacles. Pay attention to what the moment is about right now. Listen to my son. Oh, in these moments, it's just... 
It's so easy, right? Yet God says, there could be no other. I'm not competing for anyone else or anything else's attention in your heart. You come to me and for me alone. Even Moses, as he traveled up the mountain, he went further and further. And there was a point separated from everyone else. And it was just him and God all the way up there in the depth of the fire of that cloud. And we come into worship and many times we've got to remember, yes, we come together corporately and there's a invasion of God's presence in a different kind of way when we do but there's a moment we get to where it's just us and God even when everyone else is around and if we're worried and thinking about what everyone else is thinking of us there will always be a barrier to how deep and how far we can get with God there's the pride of life that dogs our door some say well I want to be seen I want to you know be Seen as righteous in my, my worship and ways. And there's a pride that can set in and distract us. But on the other side, there's a fear of man that can distract us. They think, what will people think of me if I raise my hands? And what, is somebody looking at something on my shirt? Or, you know, whatever it might be. And those things keep us from going as deep as God wants to take us. <laughs> Listen to what he says to Moses. Exodus 24, 12. He says, The Lord says to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and be there. Be there. These two words are some of the most powerful words for me. Be there. We can be present but absent, can't we? We can. I think that's what God was dealing with right there. Separate from everyone and everything. Come up on the mountain. Moses, just be me and you. I got something for you, but if you're somewhere else, you're going to miss it or miss a good part of it. Come up there and just be. The thing is, is that there's a beautiful blessing to be found in that. And yet somehow we miss that because we get pulled into other things. But the beauty gained from just being is worth everything. You'll leave those moments so drastically improved in your strength and your efficiency for everything else that you'll go down the mountain to go work on and do later on, I promise you. When you're there, just be. Amen? And this is what else he says. This is in another trip in Exodus 34, verse 2. It says to Moses, be ready in the morning, come up uh, to Mount Sinai, listen to this, and present yourself to me there on the top of the mountain calling you all the way up this time Moses I'm calling you up to the very top I want you to go to the deepest place that you can go on this trek on this journey today but when you get there Moses I need you to do something I need you to present yourself meaning abandon yourself open yourself become completely open in your soul vulnerable before me Lay everything else down. Come be there and present yourself. Uncover yourself to me. Expose yourself to me. Be completely vulnerable because we have a God that we can trust in this way. We can be completely open, exposed, and vulnerable in our soul before him. And we can trust him with every last bit of who we are when we do that. 
fact, he'll fix some things in there that need fixing when we do, that we can't let him get into when we don't abandon or present or open ourselves up that way. Isn't that powerful? The last week when I was closing out, I talked about one of the proclivities that we have as people that can cause us to drift is that we, we want to start to ascend other mountains. We want to glorify other things. We want to search for answers and solutions to, from other sources. My marriage is falling apart. My relationships are falling apart. My career is falling apart. My finances are falling apart. I can just get a better job if I could just make more money, if I can, you know, just have more status, I can just have a bigger house, and there's just all these other mountains, as if they're going to offer something, <laughs> yet we can climb and climb and climb, only to fully realize that they're spiritually bankrupt, they're empty, nothing to offer, hopelessly dead, God says there's one mountain. That's me, and we, we, we tend to ascend these other mountains and glorify these other things in our lives when there's only one place that we can actually get these answers. And I want to tell you today that another thing that, w- that can happen with the proclivity of the human nature is that God says, give me a pure heart, give me clean hands, because this is so important, so important. We can't clean ourselves. We can't make our own way. And God dealt with this with these people. And he, the same thing is speaking to us today, I promise you. It says in Exodus chapter 20, verse 24, he's talking about the altar and getting everything set up for the cleansing process. He says, an altar of earth you shall make for me and sacrifice your burnt offerings there. Isn't that interesting? An, offer, an, an altar of earth, dirt. You know, the stuff I made, use that. Then he goes on to say, in every place where I record my name, I will come to you and I will bless you. Make me an altar of stone. Now listen to this. But you shall not build it of hewn stone, for if you use your tool on it, you have profaned it. Nor shall you go up by steps. To my altar that your nakedness may not be exposed on it. Wow. The whole point of this is what God is saying is use the dirt that I made. And when you build the altar of stone, pull the rocks right out of the earth the way I set them up. Don't touch it with your hammer and chisel because if you go striking it, you're trying to to make something that you cannot make. And this is what we do. We try to make altars. Here's what they look like. I'm a good person. I'm good to people. What's right for me is what's right for me. We we come up with all these other ways and things to somehow justify our goodness justify something, and we make all these other altars that are almost like we're trying to earn our way or find our way to God through these things. Well, God loves me because I'm a good person, or I give money to the poor. And those things are all good. you got to understand, they're all 
good, but I'm just telling you, they mean nothing if God hasn't cleansed them, made us pure. And we try to build these other altars. And I want to say to you today, if you're here and you've been exposed or you've walked through a season or a time, maybe even in this moment, of dead religion. So you pass, you talk about the power and presence of God, and I hear it, and I see, you know, I get all that, but I don't know it. And you've been in this dead religion kind of thing where it's all about works and doing and building your own altars and trying to be, be this, be that, be this, be that, to get your way there. If that's where you're at, listen to me, I've got bad news and I've got good news. The bad news is you can never do it. Never do it. And you can try your whole life, and it'll always come up empty. And you'll be disappointed in this God of power, this presence, this intimacy we talk about. You'll never know it if you're trying to earn your way there and make your own altar to get into that place. The bad news is, is that you can't. I hope you're ready to quit trying. Because the good news, in fact, correct myself, the great news, the really great news, the best news that you'll ever hear in your entire life is that you don't have Because Jesus has already made better sprinkling of his blood, perfect blood, the better atonement that cleanses us, makes us pure, and his willingness to forgive us in our moment of repentance. Amen? This is what I found. As the Bible says, his goodness leads us to repentance. As you walk with God and you know God well, your heart becomes more and more tender to his ways, to his word, to the things of God, and you simply want to run from anything that is against what God wants for you, and you only want to run to and towards everything that he has for you and towards him, and then you begin to ascend the mountain of God and go deeper and deeper into his presence more and more every day of your life. Amen. He's a good God, isn't he? I'll close with that. Let's stand to our feet. And I just want to pray today, if you're here and Maybe what we need to do is we need to tear down some altars. Because it's possible for people to get rooted in those things for years and years and years. Dead religion, dead works. Just get rooted in that stuff. And I feel like today we need to tear down some altars. Anything that you've been trying to do to earn your way to God, any false idea that somehow you've got to measure up, accomplish a list of things that's going to earn you what your heart really desires and you really to just understand, get a hold of this revelation that Jesus himself made the way. And that's the only way that can get us. And Pastor, I, I want to pray today. I, you know, I've tried this or that or so many different ways that that can go that dead works religion that's powerless you've maybe been disappointed and come up short and empty i want the presence i want the power i don't really know it and 
think maybe I'm doing it the wrong way. All these altars I've tried to build for myself to get there. Now I just want to say right now in Jesus' name, you're here today. Say, I'm ready to do away with that. I'm ready to come into a new day. I'm ready to come into a new way. I'm ready to come to a better way, a perfect way. And I'm ready to put my trust entirely in Jesus. I want to ask forgiveness of anything and everything right now that has separated me from God or that's been a hindrance to me knowing him more. If you're here in that in this place today, say, I need that. I want that right now in Jesus' name. I just declare, God, would we just break down right now, Lord, any of those altars, any of those things in people's lives that are separating them. And would you release a flood of your goodness, of your presence. God, overwhelm us today, right now, with how wonderful and beautiful and amazing you are. Draw our hearts, God, more and more to you. That we would know you and see you as deep as we can ever be, God. Make us into the people that you want us to be. It's in your name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. Let's just give God praise before we go today. I just want to be where you takes that pure heart, clean hands, and no other. There can't be any distraction between us and God and when we want in the presence. So as you go this week, as you're dismissed, remember that. Take that with you. When you approach Him, make sure you're clean and refreshed. We don't want to be separated from that presence. We don't want to be separated. Amen. What a message. I, I don't know how to even dismiss on that, Pastor Matt, but uh, have to because we have another service so <laughs> but just take that with you amen be blessed today